Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. In the past two years, measures taken to deal with the COVID virus have resulted in extraordinary losses of freedom in the West, in fact, all over the world, driven by government mandates and lockdowns. Now that it's clear we're no longer in the throes of a pandemic, what next? In what circumstances and for how long are citizens prepared to accept these extraordinary extensions of state power and withdrawal of their civil liberties? In this case, it was the cause of public health. But how likely is it that government in the future will use the same draconian measures for other so-called emergencies? I'm worried that we're sliding into a permanent tyranny in the name of protecting us. With me to dig into this question are Dr. Naomi Wolf. She's the author of seven nonfiction bestsellers and co-founder and CEO of Daily Clout IO. She's a doctorate in Victorian poetry from Oxford and writes on Substack as Outspoken with Dr. Naomi Wolf. It's a terrific read, and I highly recommend everybody subscribe. Uh, it's, her, it's, her, it's her thoughts, as she says, as an eyewitness to a new dark age with thoughts on how to keep liberty, justice, and human rights alive. And I am thrilled to have my friend and returning guest, Janine Yunus, uh, join us. She's litigation counsel for the New Civil Liberties Alliance, NCLA, uh, she's a former public defender, and is, after seeing governments through the, uh, na- throughout the nation violate human rights and civil liberties in an ostensible effort to mitigate uh, the spread of COVID, uh, she's now joined the fight against lockdowns and the administrative state, and her group is doing a lot of great work on the administrative state, and we'll talk about that. So... Uh, Look, let's start with Naomi. Naomi, what do you, uh, you've written extraordinarily about uh, Canada recently and also uh, um, how you liken what's happening in this country to what Nazi Germany looked like in uh, the early 30s. I started writing about uh, the descent into fascism in 2008 with my book, The End of America. And I mentioned that because um, what you see in looking at dying democracies in whether they're being killed off by tyrants on the left or on the right is that tyrants always take the same 10 steps. And because I, I saw that pattern, I was able to predict with sort of 99.5% accuracy, sadly, I wish I'd been wrong, um, the descent into tyranny that we're seeing now. So yet, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, I wrote about Canada and it's sort of 48-hour foray into full-out totalitarianism. Um, And I pointed out that uh, we're in real danger in the United States because, uh, among other reasons, there are sort of unidentifiable security forces, violent men in uniform um, in Canada, but also in Paris, um, unidentifiable violent men in uniform um, beating up protesters. And what you see in a dying democracy is uh, militias, basically uh, mercenaries, contractors, armies for hire, and there are armies for hire around the world. You know, from entities like uh, formerly named Blackwater, now XE, um, 
And so that really worries me because they're right over our border. Uh, and the other thing that worries me considerably is this new benchmark of freezing assets of critics. That is a whole new introduction into what had been a capitalist system. It's, it's full out Marxism. Um, and it's quite terrifying because it does have an immediate chilling effect, an immediate deterrent effect on everyone who might you know, help or support or raise their voices in, in any kind of civil society way. And by the way, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in Canada explicitly grants the protesters or any critic of the government the right to assemble freely and to speak freely. Um, and then moving on to our own country, I think the biggest unreported story of our century is that last Friday, now it's getting more attention, President Biden uh, extended the Emergency Act, which had been re-upped eight times since the pandemic began, but this time he extended it in an open-ended way and in a way that funnels billions of dollars to HHS. So why is this so scary? A, it's open-ended and history shows that tyrants never give back emergency powers once they have them. Um, but B, it's so scary because what we're seeing at Daily Clout, which monitors legislation and, and it drafts model legislation, is that uh, states such as Washington State and now yesterday New York State, um, Illinois has a bill, uh, they are changing Board of Health regulations, so bypassing their legislatures to create quarantine camps where you can be detained indefinitely if you've been exposed to a contagious disease and you don't get out you know, without, without a, a judicial petition um, and you have to behave in a certain way when you're in quarantine and you can't, I mean, I read this, this regulation in New York state yesterday in a state of quite serious terror. Uh, it, it says you can't come within six feet of another human being while you're in detention. So it's these like extraordinarily, um, tyrannical uh, Board of Health empowerments. Um, and, and, and another creepy thing is that they're starting to target mental health as under the aegis of the Board of Health. And so what that's going to do is um, it's going to uh, create a kind of mental health um, uh, aegis for militarized boards of health in effect to, uh, to to, to criminalize dissent, essentially. If we don't agree, if, if we're critics, the boards of health will have the right to, um, to detain us. And so all of these are things that you do see in you know when there's a power grab. And that's why, just to wrap it up, that's why I say these days that the coup in America has already taken place. Well, Stalin and the Soviets used mental health as a way to deal with political, in, incorrect political thought. And that's kind of where we are. Janine, what do you... Are you are you doing anything on on the freezing assets uh, concern or the emergency act that Biden just put in place? What are you guys doing to uh, bring attention and to help stop that? Well, we haven't looked at that yet at all. So the the um, the freezing of assets is only in Canada. That's correct, right? right. Yeah, we. I mean, we can't so do far. anything outside the United States. But I agree. I mean, we're in an incredibly scary time and. Even though a lot of the mask and vaccine mandates, which I've been, you know, working on fighting for for the past eight or nine months, uh, sorry, fighting against, even though a lot of those appear to be going away, what really bothers me is that all of these politicians and the populace basically haven't repudiated them on sort of civil liberties grounds or constitutional grounds. Instead, it's, well, cases are dropping, so we can do away with vaccine mandates or mask mandates for now. 
But it's clear that if, you know, cases go up again or there's another pandemic, um, we can, you know, no matter how severe, we can bring all of these things back. So, I, you know, we're, we're in very scary times and we live, I think, in a society where a lot of people don't understand freedom and the importance of freedom. Well, what was the tweet you sent me? Freedom now is considered what? Well, white supremacy. The was- is that the one? The, yeah. The Washington Post ran an article saying saying that freedom was a like white supremacist concept. I mean, which is just, I, I don't know, tell that to Harriet Tubman, but <laughs> it's just completely ridiculous. Well, I did a show with uh, James Lindsay on, uh, on uh, critical race theory, and he just calls oh. it race Marxism flat out. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's... Your uh, Naomi, your your visual that that struck you also struck me, which is these thugs in Canada that are, are showing up and they look like they're straight out of the '30s. They look out of out of a bad Nazi movie. I mean, I thought of Canadians as these very sort of nice, passive people, and all of a sudden you see 53 Bluto's show up, uh, uh, kneeing people. Uh, on the street. I mean, it, it, do you think that's a private uh, 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 armed arm service or is that or is that just a secret piece of what the Canadian government's had in place and they're now just rolling it out? Well, I guess, you know, what I miss is real journalism, right? Because it's too early to know. But what reporters should be doing is asking that question. Um, and, and the other thing I want to say is that the reason I am so worried about contractors or private armies is that I'm one of the few reporters who's ever gone to Guantanamo. And what I saw there was that the military, you know, a a military or a National Guard or Mounties, you know, have real rules. And and even in war, they have rules of engagement. There are things they cannot do. But contractors, you know, as you see in Iraq, um, they, you know, it's the Wild West. And what I saw in Guantanamo was that these contractors you know, that were unnamed, that seemed kind of Velcro patch with no name attached, right? You can't follow up, you can't file a complaint, you don't know who they are. Um, they're the ones who were tasked with doing the horrible things that the U.S. military are, you know, are, are forbidden to do by law. So uh, what's really scary about a state of emergency, which people don't understand, in my essay, which is now at like 82,000 views about the Canadian situation, pointed this out, and I hope it had an impact of some kind, is that um, parliamentarians don't understand how how much in danger they are when uh, someone like Justin Trudeau declares a state of emergency, and they don't understand that they are not protected if that's a private, if those are private contractors, if those people do report to Justin Trudeau alone and not to the people of Canada within the laws of Canada. Um, So people really have to understand what a terrifying thing an emergency order is, what a state of emergency is, how it bypasses all of the laws that keep us safe and give us you know, recourse if someone abuses us. Um, and also I, I wanna say at this point in history, the people who, can, you know, people get beaten up by thugs like that at this point in history. It happened in Italy with Mussolini and his uh, black shirts. It happened uh, under the National Socialists with brown shirts. Um, in six months in 1933, they rounded up civil society leaders, beat them up, roughed them up and, you know, you didn't even need concentration camps at that point. Within six months, all of they, they had quieted all of civil society dissent. Um, so that is really terrifying that those thugs are up there. I would also say as someone who's been a political consultant at, to a president 
presidential presidential campaign and a vice president, um, the way that the images were transmitted in France and in uh, in in the Netherlands earlier and and now in Canada, they're very theatrical, right? They're very cinematic. Um, those those guys were posing, you know, that the the kind of phalanx, the violence. Um, usually when police do bad things, they're not trying to get all the cameras in the world, you know, recording the bad things because their badges are there and they will go to, you know, they will be investigated. But these guys, you know, I predicted this on War Room before it happened because this is standard. They are trying to tell the world, this is what happens to you when you protest. Um, so the images are intended to be terrifying. Well, it's part of a, you know, an attempt to intimidate us and, and chill speech. Correct. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's, and that, that's exactly what's going on in Canada. I mean, and it's going well, it's on here. What's happening here, too. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, you're not, you know, you I, we're, we're talking with somebody who no longer has a Twitter exactly. account. <laughs> uh, and that's another, you know, these sort of things. Yeah. I wonder why people are so passive, so bovine. And yet, it's they may not be, but they don't know that ever have what everybody else is thinking because they're not allowed to have an ordinary, honest, open conversation or debate about vaccine efficacy or whether lockdowns really work or you know all the sort of things that are in the public square now. There is no public square, and I guess right. I guess we're now seeing the public square is going to get filled with these guys in these black leather jackets, which is. Uh, well, and I think, so I think what happened... And by the way, in this show, we get to speculate. So yeah, we don't have to, you don't have to be, you don't have to be too <laughs> careful. You're a very careful lawyer, but you get to give us your, your, your grander theories as well. Well, I think a lot of people actually agree with us, even if they're maybe not as passionate or not as willing to, you know, speak out uh, or go out on a limb over it. Because what obviously happened over the last few weeks was that a lot of these Democratic politicians got horrible polls, polling predictions. Um, and that's why they, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, but like one day they all dropped vaccine mandates, mask mandates went away. It was very strange. Um, I mean, here in D.C., uh, Mayor Bowser from one day to the next said, tomorrow, no vaccine passport, which was just bizarre after, you know, really she had been uh, doubling down on this. So I think a lot of people think this. They're just not saying anything. But when it, you know, when it came to the polling, it was obvious where their opinions lie. Well, the, can I jump in on that? Yeah, um, let me just do a quick uh, spot here. This is the Bill Walton show. I'm here with Naomi Wolf and Janine Yunus, and we're talking about uh, this drift we're seeing towards totalitarianism. Naomi? Yeah, just to chime in with what um, Janine pointed out, there's something else happening in the background that I think, I mean, I a thousand percent agree with you, Janine, that it, you know, it's about the polls and the you know, months leading up to the midterms, which historically are very dangerous months, right? And if, if history is a guide, there's going to be so much instability leading up to midterms, you know, everything possible to prevent there from being uh, a clean, accountable midterms. But um, what's also happening in the background is uh, the Pfizer data um, it were forced to be released. And uh, the insurance companies are um, seeing that there's 20, 30, 40% rise in deaths after the vaccines were rolled out. Um, and people like Ed Dowd, this former BlackRock um, investment advisor, is coming forward saying, um, we're going to see that fraud was committed by Pfizer. And even the initial documents that have been released under court order by Pfizer show that there were 
1,200 deaths uh, in the first 90 days after the vaccine. And as Ed Dowd pointed out, you know, in the control group, more deaths than the vaccinated than the unvaccinated. So this is a massive fraud and it's about to come out or it's coming out. And to me, that's why the New York Times, which has been way up front um, propagating fraud. I mean, I've been screaming about the uh, defects and the data on that big front page COVID map because I understand how you make digital dashboards. That's what we do as a business here at Daily Cloud. Um, their data has been corrupt from the start. And only now that there's going to be an investigation of the CDC, that there's people like Dr. Henry Ely uh, submitting a call for a grand jury investigation for willful misconduct by the CDC about their data and the Pfizer data about to emerge uh, that they kept injecting people when people were dying and being maimed. Um, I think that uh, people are laying down a paper trail. And Janine, you know much more about this as a lawyer than I do, but it seems like the Democrats additionally are laying down a paper trail to protect them from being swept up in what are going to be, you know, massive lawsuits and criminal charges related to this fraud. Janine, this seems like a litigation rich in target market for you. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, the Pfizer thing is a big deal. Yeah. And, and the guy who, who dug, dug into this is a serious man. He was a, you know, ran $10 billion for BlackRock, worked there for 10 years, uh, it's ironic he should come from BlackRock because they're hardly friends of freedom there, but he is. And and if, if Pfizer has covered up this data, wow. Yeah, I mean, if of course, if they have, I'm sure there will be lawsuits, and especially you know, if anybody's been injured um, as a result of that. I I uh, am going to withhold opinion on that specific <laughs> subject. As to Our careful <laughs> lawyer here. <laughs> <laughs> But I will say, I mean, it, there was an article recently, I think, in The Times about how there's been a you know huge spike in non-COVID deaths. They may also that may also be related to lockdowns, you know, rising substance abuse. There have been a lot of drug overdose deaths, um, suicides, et cetera. So it's clear, you know, how destructive these policies are. And then this, there was actually uh, a New York Times article which which shocked me about how the CDC has been hiding data about the boosters. So um, the the data was showing they had no they provided no benefit to people under 50, so it's all risk, uh, and especially to you know, young men. Um, and the CDC hid that data, uh, along with some other information about it. It's, so it's just really stunning. Unbelievable. And Rochelle Walensky has a yeah. college-age son. I mean, I just think the inhumanity of these people uh, hiding data that could save young adults from risk without benefit. It's extraordinary yeah. to me. One of the reasons I wanted to get both of you on is that you both made an interesting journey from maybe a different place politically, the left. I know we talked about this yeah. earlier, Janine, in your case, and I don't like labels at all, and I can't even define where we are now because I don't have a label for me. I certainly don't have a label for you. But this, this ma mask in particular, let's take masks as an example, it seems to divide up neatly along political lines. If you voted Democrat, you're, you're wearing masks. I went to, we went out to dinner last night and we live in a highly Democrat uh, neighborhood and everybody, and we, the mask mandate's gone and yet everybody still had them on. And it's a sign of yeah, virtue signaling or something. Yeah. So what, what is it with the with the the left versus right uh, schism on on the on the mandates and the masks and 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 lockdowns. 
Well, I will. I do think there's been quite a realignment. I mean, someone has several commenters have noticed it's sort of more like authoritarianism versus freedom these days. And right. I know, and Naomi knows a lot. I mean, I get contacted by disaffected Democrats every day, tons of them. So I think a lot of people are seeing through this. But uh, initially, because I think Trump came out, you know, sort of wasn't sure about masks and wasn't sure about lockdowns and the left and Democrats hated him. Uh, I think their reaction was. Well, if Trump says this, it must, you know, Trump says X, it must be negative X. So um, I think that's a little bit of what happened. But I know Naomi also has interesting thoughts on that. Yeah, what do you, what do you, what, what is, what's this about? Well, I mean, first, when you ask that question, I'm just smiling because literally maybe a year and a half ago, I met Janine and, and she and I were like refugees from, <laughs> from the left, you know, having a, a glass of wine and saying, what is happening to the people around us? We, we are astonished to watch what's happening. Um, uh, what, yeah, I mean, what's, I agree with, with Janine a thousand percent again, uh, that it is a realignment, a different axis of, um, authoritarianism versus freedom and it's bringing it's a great opportunity if you had good leadership that was willing to be transpartisan or inclusive and and find common ground because um there are many more of us than there are of you know the oligarchs at this point which are also transpartisan i i often point out that you know the world economic forum cleverly has liberals in canada and conservatives in the uk and a conservative in uh, in uh, Australia and a liberal in New Zealand. And, it, you know, there's nothing partisan about the power grab we're seeing globally. So it's a mistake to have a, a tunnel vision of partisanship, you know, when you say who are the bad guys. But I do have, you know, friends and loved ones who are not only Democrats, but in that bubble of CNN, MSNBC readers, New York Times readers, and their view, like we are as a country getting too absolutely different information streams. Um, paradoxically, you know, I was always taught that Tucker Carlson and Steve Bannon are evil uh, and they're doing better reporting on this than the New York Times or the Washington Post, let alone CNN and CNBC. But it means that when I talk to my loved ones, intelligent people, they literally believe that the pandemic is ending because of masks and lockdowns. Yeah. They literally believe that the more you get boosted, you know, the healthier you're going to be, or that um, this is the big lie of all time, and it really has affected my life, that unvaccinated people are more dangerous to be around than vaccinated people, even though the vaccines don't affect transmission per the manufacturers. But you can, like Janine and I have talked about this, what a lot of, you know, liberal or democratic voting refugees like us are noting with sadness and people are starting to analyze it is that our loved ones are in you know it's been called a mass formation psychosis by that Belgian psychologist but there are other names for it they're in a kind of um mass hysteria uh and and you can't really chip away at it with facts or logic and and that's sadder than anything I mean it's dividing families. It's it's dividing friends, um, and and it's scary to see people. I mean, literally, I I have beloved friends. You know, one is a Democratic judge. One was a you know high level you know editor of a major you know news outlet, and they literally cannot hear evidence to the contrary of what you know the narrative is. They. They, and they don't, and they've changed, right? They don't say that doesn't hold up or those sources are not good. They say, don't show me that. 
you know, it's like a religion. And that's scary. What do both of you think about Robert Malone saying this is a mass psychosis formation? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't actually listen to that. Uh, that's a new, that's a new term. For, I didn't listen to the whole <laughs> thing. But it, I, I just, yeah. it was because it, I, I, we did a show, oh, gosh, a year and a half ago. I said, it looks like, yes, there's a there's a pandemic, but it's a pandemic of fear. Yeah. Much yeah. more than a pandemic of a virus. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think I think what I see is is this 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 hysteria. I didn't know there was a big word for it: mass formation psychosis. Yeah. Well, I think I mean a lot of people, you know, became scared out of their minds. And then one thing I've really noticed with my family and friends who are mostly from the left. Well, I'm not really friends with them anymore, but so I talk more to my family. But they really trust the New York Times. They trust the CDC. They trust these institutions. And it it. They need that. Uh, they can't. And they if I tell them, like, look, the New York Times is lying to you about masks. They're lying. They're not portraying the science. The CDC is doing the same thing. You know, they're they keep manipulating science. They keep putting out these absurd studies that, you know, the last one I mentioned to you earlier today, uh, based on self-reporting, which has so many intrinsic bias issues. Uh, the last study they put out that it was from like April to October in certain places. So they had like purposely manipulated the time and geography to this fit is the, the CDC. The CDC saying, oh, this shows that masks work. So they, and because these institutions are doubling down on, you know, sh ostensibly showing these measures work, uh, you know, my, my mother just can't get it through her head that they're not being honest. She can't bring herself to believe it. it it's easier for her to think I'm crazy than to think these institutions are lying to her. Well, it seems like the Zetonic plates are really shifting. <laughs> uh, it just, it's just, it seems like left versus right Democrat versus Republican, I don't think any of that stuff seems to align with what people are thinking and feeling now. No. And the loss and trust of government is, is extraordinary. Yeah. Well, Janine, how, we, how weird, though, right, that our side was supposed to be the critical thinkers <laughs> and, you know, the, the conservatives were supposed the to be the dumb, credulous, Trump-loving, beer-swilling, yeah. you know, uneducated <laughs> masses. Why do you think it's our kind of highly educated, critically trained friends who are needing to believe in authorities so much and, and have absolved themselves of critical thinking. I mean, I spend all my time thinking about this. <laughs> I mean, I think there were a series of events, like it, things sort of, you know what I talked about, I called tr Trump derangement syndrome because Trump took a certain position. I think that was one factor and things may have played out differently if like Hillary Clinton was president during that time. Um, that's mm -hmm. one thing. It's trust in experts. I think there are actually um, sort of the safety culture, the woke culture, mm -hmm. I would say, uh, that it's not very, it, it's sort of simplistic um, and sort of embrace this idea of like safety in this weird way without thinking mm -hmm. about other factors outside of COVID. Um, and I think there's sort of this expert class, like over we over-educate too many people who aren't that smart to put it bluntly <laughs> and so they're not actually capable of thinking critically and they um so they're obsessed with expertise like oh because someone's an epidemiologist that they must right, have that right. they're we have to listen to them as though there's no other you know um disciplines that can inform our policies or our approach to these things yeah i think you're right i i did just want to show you all this book when we were talking about kind of mass hysteria and hallucination here hold it up, hold it up so we can get it on the camera there sorry Combating Sorry. cult mind control. I, think it's I love that. Combating cult yeah. mind control. Okay. And, and I, I just mentioned this because um, in addition to 
mass formation psychosis, which I think is, you know, one useful sort of analysis that this psychologist who Robert Malone cited has come up with. There's something else that, that I'm seeing happen, you know, in terms of this mental illness problem. And it, it believe it or not, it relates to anorexia um, and other OCD type behaviors. Uh, when I wrote The Beauty Myth, like a million years ago, I argued that anorexia and bulimia and um, body dysmorphia, you know, exercise fixations were not organic mental illnesses, but were induced mental illnesses from practices like restricting food, you know, when you're dieting and also the uh, cultural compulsion to constantly surveil your body as inadequate and that that created a kind of OCD type behavior that was then kind of addictive and self-reinforcing. Um, and later studies proved that that was true. I mean, even brain scans proved that that was true. So I, I think something very similar is at work where people have been asked to be, you know, obsessively mindful that their breath doesn't get out or that they don't get more than six feet, you know, in, in proximity with another human being, especially children. Um, and they're being asked to see the world as full of germs and other human beings as full of germs and potentially fatal to them and a hug will kill them. And, and, and this constant need to kind of scan your body and scan the environment, I think is creating a kind of OCD type, uh, you know, literally like new reactions. And I think brain scans would be really interesting to see the, if this is true or not, but it, it's very much like the kind of obsessive self-monitoring that leads to anorexia and bulimia. And those are very hard illnesses neurolo you know, neurologically to recover from um, because the brain kind of habituates to being addicted to uh, the reward that you get from following those restrictions. So I do think, you know, and, and doctors are seeing this, that their patients are addicted to masks. They're, they can't bring themselves to take off the masks. Um, and I, I do think that there's been kind of an alteration of, of the minds of people. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is about isolation. You know, I've studied torture and isolation is a big part of torture. Uh, in fact, that's why the Geneva Conventions say solitary confinement is a form of torture. And what studies have found with solitude and you know, enforcing solitude is that it creates psychotic damage to the brain. Like people start to hallucinate, they start to become psychotic, you know, and, and, and it's permanent brain damage. So um, I think solitude could have also uh, uh, changed people's brains. Like I, I interviewed a young adult who has been in a room in Brooklyn for the last two years, you know, being perfectly au courant with his other friends who are also holed up in their rooms in Brooklyn. But when I proposed to him that he'd go out on the road and, and report something from the road, a look of absolute terror crossed his face. Um, and I'm seeing this kind of agoraphobic, uh, you know, fear-based reaction to just being out in the world, being around other people that I think has is anybody Has, has anybody logic. done any statistical work on this? You know, we're a country of 340, 350 million people. And, you know, I go to I go to a gym in Adams Morgan in D.C., and I've got a trainer there who's like a regular guy. And he assures me that what, our, what we're talking about is not widespread. He says, Bill, just look at all the football games on TV and you'll see, you know, he said, look at the Super Bowl. Los Angeles had a mass mandate and you look at the Super Bowl and nobody in the stands was either social distancing or wearing a mask. And so you have people in those ordinary circumstances not 
not acting the way we're talking about. And yet, the, all of us who sort of are interested in ideas and trends and things like that start identifying this. Is this something we're just seeing because we're noticing it, or is this something that's really widespread and is really a cancer in America that uh, is going to change us forever? I suspect it's a pretty small. I, I suspect it's a relatively small. That was a thirty-five thousand foot question. We're talking about the future of the country <laughs> here now. <laughs> Go ahead. I suspect it's a pretty small population uh, or percentage that's sort of talking about what Naomi described. Someone who's been lost, but you know, I hear of these people. Um, I know a couple of them, and but I think they also, you know, they're terrified and they have quite a voice. You know, we see them on Twitter. Then they're just pushing very, very hard to keep all restrictions in place. Um, they have very loud voices. And because uh, they just can't, they cannot return to normal. I don't think they're capable of it at this point. I do think the vast majority of people want to go back to normal, but I, but the problem is that most people don't care that much and will sort of just go along with whatever they're told to do. So the majority won't get up on the train and, you know, scream that they're not going to wear a mask again, which I actually did. <laughs> Although, then yeah. I do. <laughs> I, I would add, too, that the 35,000 people in a stadium are self-selectedly not the people cowering right, in their right. rooms. Those people would probably decline. But look, I, you know, I come at this from a, I, there's no way to know how I, widespread this is, right? But I, and I think it's a very specific demographic. I mean, I think it's the most educated, liberal, chattering classes uh, in a few cities, but those people have outsized influence on the culture, and they also happen to be my my friends and family. <laughs> yeah. and so, and they're sitting yeah. on, in their rooms on the internet, so they they may seem like a lot bigger it, percentage yeah, no, of the I population just, than they are. Anecdotes. They're not out doing Sorry. things. <laughs> they're they're not out doing things. I mean, there's no way to know how widespread it is, but I, I do literally have a relative whom I love to bits who will not sit outside with me because I'm unvaccinated. And I have another friend, this, you know, judge whom I mentioned. Won't sit outside with you? Won't sit outside with you? Will not sit outside with me because I might kill him by my presence. And, uh, and I have this judge friend who won't go indoors with me. And he literally says, I don't sit indoors with unvaccinated people. So there are these deep pockets of highly educated people who, is it ideological? Is it OCD? Is it a mixture by now? I don't know. But let's move on to one population that I know is being harmed en masse, and that is children. Um, I'm the stepmother of a 10-year-old. And when you, you know, his school sent me a notice, sent us a notice that some children were not wearing their masks correctly. And these kids wear masks 10 hours a day with mask breaks, right? And, and they were also not distancing correctly. And the children who forgot to properly wear their masks and distanced would be given physical reminders of double masking. So that is, this is all child abuse in my view, but that is like extra criminal level child abuse. And I know, you know, my poor stepson looked at what a double mask would look like because this was such a traumatic thing to say to any child. But I also, you know, I'm, I'm around 10 year olds and they've lost verbal skills. Their faces are affectless. They actually, they don't I know just how to... saw this. Um, someone was tweeting and Jay Bhattacharya tweeted it. So I, I trust it. But the CDC has uh, lowered the age of development now. So saying like, I, I don't know what the exact numbers were, but, you know, you're supposed to have this level of speech at two years. And now they're saying, OK, it's three years because kids, uh, you know, they're being developmentally delayed by masks and presumably by like lockdowns, lost school. I actually I have a lawsuit um, 
on behalf of a child, well, actually four children, siblings who are not vaccinated. They had COVID in the fall and they keep getting quarantined because they, if you're not vaccinated, they quarantine the kids anytime they come into contact with somebody who might, who had COVID. So these kids just keep losing school where if, as if they were vaccinated, they weren't. It's an underhanded way of coercing the parents to vaccinate them, of course, um, because they wouldn't be subject to these rules. But I mean, what we're doing to children in the name of public health is the most a cruel, absurd thing I've, I've ever, I, I just can't, I can't believe it's the liberals who supposedly care about people and kids. It's just unconscionable. So they just, I, they can't resist. So the double mask, the dunce cap has become the double mask. <laughs> yeah, but can you imagine if you read about that in a Dickens novel? I know. Think, well, that's what I mean. Thank God, we, you know, thank God we have evolved past that point of brutality yeah. and ignorance and cruelty. And here we are. Yeah. And and I guess the other thing that astonishes me is that all the other, you know, upper middle class educated caring helicopter parents in this affluent neighborhood are not up in arms about this. They're okay with this threat against their children and they're okay with their children, you know, they literally say things like I don't want my child to unmask if the you know, if the other kids are masked because he'll be ostracized. And you hear about that. You hear about kids, you know, being told the parents tell the their children not to play with the unmasked child. Yeah. Um, I'm hearing stories like this across look, the country. Look, look, These kids are going to be scarred for life. We're going to, this, we need to come back for a follow-up conversation because <laughs> we're just now getting it. We got a, we got a, we've got a deadline we've got to get you to, but let's circle back to where we started. We started out with concerns about a totalitarian government, loss of freedom. It seems like we're not describing a population of, of people who are foremost concerned about their freedom. They're concerned about protecting themselves from all types of risk. They're develop, you know, they're it's it, it's crazy. I, it's a it's a question of people's character, and I don't think the people we're trying we're describing here are very interested in uh, in in freedom, the no. Bill of Rights, the uh, Declaration of Independence, all that sort of. Uh, you know, basic stuff. No, they're not. <laughs> they're they're interested in, and you you said being safe from all sorts of things. I would say it's actually safe from one thing, like this one particular virus. But they're not thinking about, you know, mental health, physical health, in other ways. Sitting at home and you know, out in the dark is not healthy. In fact, you know, obesity, vitamin D deficiency are are two of the main causes of bad COVID outcomes. So. People should be outside getting exercise, seeing each other. But, but this gets into the news blackout, though, because yeah. we're not reading about all the other deaths. We're not yeah. reading about the cancer, the, the heart disease, the diabetes, the, the kids, the depression, the exactly. alcohol, or all, the all, all those that, other sort of uh, consequences. Exactly. Johns Hopkins, I'm sure you guys heard, but had a study a few weeks ago where they said lockdowns had no, this was a huge meta study. Johns Hopkins isn't exactly a, a bastion of white wing, ring, <laughs> right wing supremacy you know, from Johns Hopkins saying that their lockdowns had no benefits and massive downsides. The media didn't cover the study at all. And that's, I mean, the control of information. Is, I don't think Johns Hopkins even put out a press release, did they? Did they? They didn't? I think wow. the doctor responsible for it did. I don't uh, think they wanted to be associated wow. with it. Or maybe well, they I'm, did. I'm very cynical about why Johns Hopkins put that study out. They're one of the most egregious uh, criminal entities when it comes to their dashboard being the one that everyone referenced and a, mm. a whistleblower who was working with them imaging their data leaked to me the GitHub account, which is where developers put raw data sets. 
and only six states were reporting. Their data were completely incomplete. Um, and yeah, they're very corrupt. And I think that they're trying, like you see this about face institutionally, I think they're trying to lay down a paper trail, you know, as, as the news emerges that data has been concealed and that bad outcomes have followed. That's my view. Um, but yes, there is a media blackout, but I also wanted to say about people buying into this notion of, of not caring about freedom. I, I have a, a little bit of a different take because I, I love people in their 20s who will remain unnamed and they're, what they're hearing, and you see it on the New York City subways, is that it's caring to wear a mask and it's caring to the community to get a booster and that it's threatening to the community and to the elders and to your loved ones to not get a booster. So that's such a cynical thing. Genius campaign, it was focus grouped, is these you know, bad actors with their millions and billions in, in you know, influence campaigns figured out that appealing to the altruism and, and selflessness of that generation uh, was a way to get them to comply. So they see freedom, freedom has been effectively rebranded as selfishness and harming others, whereas masking and distancing and injecting things is branded as taking care of your community. And you, you kind of can't fault young adults for being idealistic and wanting to serve their community, but their, their idealism has been hijacked. Very Orwellian. That's, <laughs> That's yeah, a pretty good. Well, we got to wrap. Uh, Naomi, thank you. Uh, Janine, thank you. We I feel like we're just beginning to get interesting. We got to <laughs> we got to start go for going for Joe Rogan links here. Next time we need four hours to uh, to unpack this. Uh, Naomi, where's where's the best place to find you on uh, Substack or? Uh, where? Certainly uh, Substack and dailycloud.io, where we're fighting uh, to change state legislation. Uh, I just want to say one thing, which is the, the, the record of this moment is being written now, and the heroes are being identified. And over and over, I noticed that 19 out of 20 of the you know, heroes being showcased are men, and God bless them, they're very heroic men. Janine Eunice ran out in front of the troops in this battle at the very start, when she saw how unjust it was, she's been courageous. She's been a warrior uh, and a leader. And I just want to, she's a hero of this movement. So I just want to say that. Oh, thank you so much, Naomi. Well, I so you. agree. <laughs> I so agree. That's why you've been back here three times. <laughs> and you're going to be coming back time after time. Yeah, you were early. <laughs> yeah. And, and and we, you know, we talked about it. you paid a personal price. So have you, Naomi. But I mean, you, you, you know, you really had to jettison a lot of, what you were and became something else. Yeah, yeah. I get to hang out with people like Janine now. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. I get to be on the right side of history with so the cool Janine, kids. Janine, we, we can find you at the, uh, what, what are our acronym? Not the New Civil Liberties New Civil Alliance. Alliance. It's a and wonderful it. place run by, founded by Philip Hamburger. And I think we've described a, a very litigation-rich environment for you guys to to help you know get back. Yeah, around. and I also have a very active Twitter account in my name. Um, What's your handle? Uh, Lefty Lockdowns One. Actually, it's a long story about why that's a, kind of a stupid handle, but I didn't really understand how Twitter worked when I created it, and it was shortened from Lefty Lockdown Skeptic. But they haven't suspended me yet. We'll see. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm preparing to meet Naomi's fate. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. This is uh, this is just so interesting, and and 
Anyway, this has been the Bill Walton Show, and we're here with Naomi Wolf and Jenny Nunes, and we're uh, talking about the, uh, I don't know, what are we talking about? The future of mankind, I think. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, we we'll hope you'll join us again. We are, uh, of course, you can find us on CPAC Now and uh, For America and all the major podcast platforms, YouTube, Rumble. I think YouTube will keep this one. I don't think we've said anything particularly uh, non-YouTube. The Pfizer vaccine. Pfizer <laughs> vaccines. Well, we, we skirted on the edges of, uh, of the truth police. Anyway, thanks for joining, and uh, we'll, we'll see, talk with you next time. Thanks. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.